Welcome to Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence that helps you navigate the regulatory landscape and keep you on course running the business you love. Here's your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 85. This is your employee handbook. Should you have an employee handbook? Well, maybe or maybe not. It depends on your organization. They're a good idea for several reasons, mainly for clarity and litigation defense. But not every business owner wants one. I mean, you have policies regardless, right? Whether or not you write them down doesn't change the fact that you have them. So it's a good idea to have one. I mean, put yourself in your employee's shoes. Starting a new job is nerve-wracking, and not knowing what's expected of you only magnifies that stress, so your employee handbook is a great tool for helping them to feel settled and secure. It's important to make sure that they know the rules of the game. They need to understand your policies and procedures and what to expect from you and, and what you expect from them. It's a great management guide as well, and it's really the foundation of your employee relationship, at least in the beginning. Plus, it's a great way to tell the employees about your company's culture, your philosophy, your history, and your mission. But it needs to be clear, it needs to be readable, error-free, and more importantly, it needs to be current and consistent. You also want to make sure that it doesn't conflict with other written materials or practices. Try to make it straightforward, conversational as much as you can, because you want people to read it, so you need to make it readable. Now, granted, creating and maintaining an employee handbook is a hassle. It's a lot of work, but it's worth the effort. A lot of employers don't have a handbook because they think it's a liability, and it can be. But if it's done right, it's a big benefit and a protection for you. Plus, the courts are expecting to see them in support of your defense against employment claims. Like I said, your handbook needs to be updated often because things are constantly changing with the passage of new laws and with court decisions that have the effect of law. You know from listening to this podcast that the NLRB, the EOC, and the DOL are actively promoting their agendas through new rules and interpretations of existing ones. And you know that there are minimum wage and paid leave laws that are springing up at a state and local level all across the country, so it's important to stay on top of those activities and to amend your handbook accordingly. You can't let it get outdated. So the first section of the handbook should contain a message from you to set the tone and welcome your employees to the company. You should tell them about the company, describe your culture and your history and your mission. I should also explain in the introduction that the relationship you have with them is an employment-at-will relationship, assuming that's what you want. An at-will employment simply means there's no defined length of employment and that either you or your employee can terminate the relationship with or without notice. The handbook should also explain that it's not an employment contract and it shouldn't be considered one and include a statement saying that it's subject to change. And finally, in the introduction, have a clear effective date along with the notice that the version supersedes all previous written and oral versions. Now, I tend to think of the handbook in terms of its major sections. There's a lot of detail that you can get into, and there are definitely some things that you don't want to forget. But not everything needs to be in there. You need to tailor it to your situation. 
everything that goes into a handbook would fit into one or more of these categories. So let's go over those with some examples. Compensation. So in this section, you talk about payroll tax deductions, about employment status, about job classification, time and attendance, record keeping, overtime pay, bonuses, the pay week, the pay period, work schedules, meals and breaks. You should also explain your method of payment, how benefit premiums are deducted, what to do if there's a payment error, you know, what's the process for disputing it. And then one really important item is for an exempt employee permissible deduction safe harbor. The reason for that is because if you inadvertently deduct a non-permissible deduction from an exempt employee, then there's the chance that you invalidate their exemption and then would owe them overtime compensation. Next is leave. This category would contain things like paid time off for vacation, holiday, bereavement, sick leave. You talk about what the eligibility rules are, the accrual method, the request process. You know, do you allow carryovers or payouts, for example? And remember, there are a lot of jurisdictions with mandatory paid leave requirements, so you have to comply with those at a minimum. And there's unpaid time off, family medical leave for those with 50 or more employees. There's jury duty, military leave, and time off for voting. There's time off for pregnancy, for nursing mothers. And again, pregnancy might be covered under a mandatory paid leave law, so you need to be cautious of that. The next section is benefits, but you should keep this section to a minimum and just talk about the eligibility requirements. And actually put the benefit plans at the end of the manual so they can be switched out easily when things change or just refer to them and they can be you know, provided separately. And there's safety and security. What to do if someone's hurt on the job, how to report it, what to expect, you know, what to do in the event of emergencies, fires, natural disasters, bomb threats. Oh, and your weapons policy would go here. And I'd still have an illness and injury prevention plan, in other words, a safety manual for all the nitty-gritty details. So the handbook should just be an overview of that and establish the fact that you make you know, every effort to maintain a safe workplace. Then there's the security of the physical premises, company property, proprietary and client information, as well as network and computer policies, remote access policies, and, and on and on. And next is employee conduct. And this is where you're going to explain policies involving employees' behaviors, things like dress codes, hygiene, smoking, drug use, ethics, uh, outside employment, i.e., you know, second jobs, and also email usage. What do you prohibit? Are they able to use company email for personal communications, for example? And then last is compliance. And this is a big area. Because most everything we've talked about has to be balanced against the compliance with all the laws protecting employees' rights. Harassment, for example, this is a big a big policy. You talk about what's prohibited, explain how to report harassment, explain the confidentiality of that reporting, which really there shouldn't be any because in order for you to conduct your investigations, you can't guarantee confidentiality. The same thing goes for discrimination. You know, explain what your policies are, your practices, what you do to prevent it, how you respond to it. Talk about how you provide reasonable accommodations for disabled employees and applicants. 
Now, this is a long-winded legalese section that you should try hard to explain in layman's terms. One thing you don't want to do in this section is establish like a no-tolerance policy. You want to have some flexibility with your ability to deal with situations because not all situations are created equal. So those are the main categories. There's also some other things we should talk about. For example, non-disclosures, non-solicitations, non-competes, and confidentiality agreements. These should not be a part of the employee handbook. These should be separate agreements. They shouldn't be built into the handbook in any way. Another important consideration and section that you need to have in your handbook is about the National Labor Relations Board regulations. You need to make sure that your policies don't negatively affect your employees' rights to form or join unions or to engage in protected, concerted activities to address or improve working conditions. Yes, even if you don't have union employees, you have to comply with these NLRB regulations, specifically Section 7 that says that you can't chill your employees' rights. You can't have policies that that prevent them from exercising their rights under the NLRB. So your employees have the right to protest for mutual benefit, to organize. And again, you can't have policies that prevent them from doing these things. And once you have your employee handbook completed, you'll need a formal rolling out that includes you know, manager training, employee training, and an opportunity for questions and answers. And you should have each employee sign an acknowledgement of receipt and place that in the employee file, even if you do an electronic distribution. And it's also a good idea to have the harassment policy include its own sign-off. Well, there you have it. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Small Biz Brainiac. To get your questions answered by Thomas directly, visit smallbizbrainiac.com. And for more employer intelligence, be sure to join us again here on Small Biz Brainiac.